So um, now I want to shift over to voting and elections. So before we go to the Kanye option, <laughs> yeah. me, the main question for me is democracy a joke? Is voting a waste of time? What would you say? Largely, yeah. I mean, look, it it's in a way it's part of what we've already been speaking of is that people are are powerful, interesting, creative beings that can really do things in this world and and affect the common good. And if you want to make those people into slaves, um, one of the best ways to do it is to de-emphasize their capacities, the fullness of their capacities. Um, of course, to simply do this would, would make people rebel against you. But if you are able to have them convinced that all of their power really relies, really is invested in some one freedom, and it's use that you can manage, mm -hmm. um, then you have essentially successfully created a much more manageable and governable population. I shouldn't say governable because being governed is great, but being managed is awful. <laughs> yeah. So what I mean is simply like in the same way that we say, okay, you can have um, this effective freedom in the use of money so long as you get rid of all of your power and capacity in the use of productive property and the use of land and the extension of family ties in, in your, your faith, um, then you get the money. In the same way, it seems that that's at least what voting has become, which is like, you know, we are just ideologically, um, you know, bombarded with the power of our vote and how important it is and how you know it's our it's our sort of freedom it's like the definition almost of our freedom um, to the point that we equate um, getting suffrage with getting real power mm -hmm. and it's not that I don't think that voting obviously relative to the system of democracy has any power yeah of course it does it does something you know but barely <laughs> yeah and so what I, what I what I'm saying is it's not I, I'm not casting shade on voting itself within any given, not just national, but any, you know, group of six people voting on something to decide what to do. Sure, I, that's, like, that's fine, you can do that. That can be even preferable given your particular pursuit of, of a good. But the idea that it has any kind of um, primacy to, to other forms of um, getting retaining and extending power for the sake of common good in society is, is ridiculous and it, and it just seems to me an obvious um deliberately instilled illusion into um especially the poor and the oppressed because if you can just convince them that it's all in the vote then you can make sure that they never think it's all in the property even though it's obviously true that there's way more power in property than there is in voting and even more than property, there's way more power and holiness than there is in either. So it's like, yeah. it, it, that, that's, I guess, I hope that makes some sense that I'm not, democracy might be preferable, mm -hmm. but what we are doing with democracy is using it as a way to mask our increase and growing powerlessness. Yeah. I think people feel this when they mm -hmm. arrive at the voting booth and are like, Okay, so here it is, my great American freedom for which soldiers in countless countries have gone and died. And I'm about to practice it by voting between two plutocrats. Which one shall I pick? Yeah. I mean, 
And so the, there's that great feeling of impotence at the polls, which is only assuaged by having made the other side a devil. That works because then you feel powerful because you're beating the devil by voting Republican or Democrat, right? But outside of that, it's like a feeling of impotence because the what doesn't change is who has power and who decides who you get to vote for. Yeah. So then on New Polity, you made the argument that Kanye should get the Catholic vote, the birthday party. So how did you arrive there? Well, I think it was definitely in frustration with this. Um, You know, it happens every four years. It's never going to stop, I suppose, that um, Catholics continually um, subordinate all other um, mechanisms of establishing the kingdom of God to vote. Mm-hmm. And maybe it only happens four times or, or once every four years. I don't know. But it seems to me fairly constant. Um, and part of that is, is of course, um, prudentially engaging in enmity-based politics. You know, we know by now that there's no Catholic vote. There's nothing Catholic about the options granted to us. Um, you know, we're lucky if we score a few points here or there for a particular moral issue that we have concern about. Um, but actually voting for someone that we think would represent our interests is like, we don't even, we don't even discuss that. Um, so it seemed to me that listening to Kanye's bid for um, presidency that he both revealed the um, he both revealed the the impotence of our um, subordination of all power and freedom to the vote um, and provided a much better <laughs> option for Catholics in terms of what he actually was saying he wanted and liked and would do um, than other candidates that I could see and I think as far as Biden is concerned, that's the truth has been borne out. Kanye would have been way better. <laughs> yeah. And for me, like when I read the birthday party platform, I think the two main appeals first, like this is the closest thing I've seen to, I guess, to Rerum Novarum, to the church's social doctrine. Cause like, yeah, like that totally like intuitively grasped social teaching more than any other mainstream party platform, but um, like real grasp on distributism, the agency of local communities, of families, but also like defense of, you know, uh, unborn life, people in prison, all these things which are just super in line with Jesus. Um, but also I, what I also found interesting was his intuition that what will truly uplift Black communities is solidarity and subsidiarity, that it's yeah. not becoming again this front row elitist kind of ideal like going to you know some elite university getting a degree getting a high paying job and then what happens to your community oh maybe you can throw money at it later but no it's like it's uplifting from the bottom from within which i'm not really hearing much of in much you know black liberation kind of rhetoric so yeah it was there i was reading kanye kanye put out um uh, I'm forgetting the author now. Is, uh, Power Economics was the name of the book. Um, but he was 
utilizing it as a part of his philosophy. And it was very much on um, the necessity of, of actually take, I mean, it was, it was basically, I think, anti-identitarian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because um, it's saying like, what you need to do is get land. What you need to do is have successful businesses. What you need to take is power that is real in the sense that it that you can affect um, the world and become indispensable to it. Um, whereas what the world is preaching is that you you are <laughs> only do politics in a way that you are utterly dispensable because no real con concretized action is what's being talked about. It's just the identity itself, which will continue whether you live or die, right? Yeah. And I, I think like people in power recognize that a black voice advocating for these kinds of things is dangerous yeah. because you know, it's threatening their power. And like, I think specifically of people like him and Lauren Hill also, who, uh, even though she didn't have a political platform, was saying very similar things, like rooted in a very traditional Christian biblical worldview, um, really a voice for subsidiarity, for uplifting black communities from within through certain um not only economic ideals but moral existential ideals and then she had to be silenced because she was challenging the powers that be too much and then kanye he said it um i don't know if you saw the the drink champs interview that happened like two months ago it was i mean it's scary prophetic but he kept saying like every time he was about to say something controversial he's like they're gonna kill me for saying this like if they didn't kill me for saying, you know, George Bush doesn't care about black people, they're gonna kill me for this. And it's like he knows that black people who actually advocate for their real rights are a threat. And I don't know, maybe they're gonna kill him, maybe they'll silence him. I wouldn't be surprised, but you see that there's something about what he's advocating for that's yeah. I mean, can't can't you see this sort of there on the level of, of class, like the um, like, I mean, I think about with recent stirrings of what could have been great populism, but obviously has it has not necessarily gone the way Catholic might hope. But it seems like what scares people is the moment that anyone gets over the kind of um, linguistic battles and says we need we need genuine power like we need you know poor whites need manufacturing and you guys are the enemy for moving for moving to china for instance <laughs> you know like that's that's the problem that's oh now we're getting fascist oh now we're getting you know but but i think what's really being recognized is that well done rightly or wrongly those are the things that are actually trying to get a distribution of power in a, in society yeah. and that is what is unacceptable and so we continuously pitch the idea that what's really acceptable is having representation on like advertisements from major banks that's our you know um but what i think ends up happening is that well, what I hope seems to be happening is that the, the fight for the distribution of power just starts to ignore that that corporate BS yeah. and goes underground a little bit and you, you see more emphasis on local institutions and um, local elections even where votes can be significant and yeah. taking power um, where, where one can be really efficacious. Yeah. So 
even though yes you advocated for the kanye option i want to get your take on some of the other options that that were on the table so american solidarity party christian democracy waste of time or is it you know oh no they're great i mean they need to get out there and win elections i i ran for um for a city council seat here in Steubenville, Ohio. I did not win, unfortunately. Some of this due to just, you know, I stink. But uh, also the, uh, it would help if I wasn't a writing candidate or some other things I could have done better. But um, uh, but American Solidarity Party um, was a big help. Um, and I think the more they do of that stuff, the more that they just say, okay, let's go win local elections um the better it will be for for that party i mean i don't see it as any kind of like um solution to our political problems or anything like that i just think it's it's a good thing that moves the ball forward um the problem i think with with um, catholics who kind of try to organize politically within the american system is that they tend to either say um they tend to either sell out because they just want Republican power or Democrat power. So they, they sell out at some stage in their development. Or if they don't sell out, they become think tanks as opposed to political entities. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is what I think is the, the temptation of anyone trying to craft like, and the American Solidarity Party, I, I don't think they're falling into this right now, but I've seen it in the past um, where the emphasis becomes on crafting the ideal sort of platform and the work goes into um, essentially a philosophical yeah. work. And it's like, that's great, but that's not what we need political parties for. <laughs> like that's, yeah. we need to win if we want to, if we want to actually take, take local, you know, politics by storm. Is it, when I asked them about it, they, a lot of them said to me, like, our goal is not to win elections. It's to influence ideas so that the mainstream parties can take from us. I was like, well, okay, that's, one at all because i think that if you want to influence ideas just do that right like you don't need to be a you don't need to be a political party to do that um the you can you can run someone for president and spark some interest in what they believe but you can achieve that same effect by by writing a good essay okay so i i just think that what we really should be doing is saying okay where can we win let's go win and not just for American Solidarity Party, but any Catholic who is uh, interested in the destruction of liberalism and its replacement by genuinely Catholic forms uh, of life and governance, mm-hmm. that what they should do is go win. Um, and they should win where winning is really possible. Okay, so winning is the goal. Mm. Well, it's, the, it's the first thing. <laughs> because I really do think that the intellectual work of convincing and converting is is like that's part of our apostolate right it's already there um so if you're going to organize politically and like do it and do it right okay Mm -hmm. what about christian socialism a la liz brunig cornell west type people yeah i will i'll confess i don't know much um about it maybe you could tell me what you think christian socialism is that could like a soft reading of Marx minus the atheism minus totalitarian dictator um, redistribution of wealth for uh, you know in favor of the poor but at the hands of the state basically but like the state I think like 
it overlaps with some of like when you read Pope Leo, sure. Like, yeah, you want to make sure everybody has access to certain wealth, to certain resources, but it's the state doing it and not the local community or the individual people. And that's when I'm like, sure, you could support them. So uh, what's it called? The Democratic Socialists of America solely for the sake of challenging the kind of capitalist system at play, but in itself, it can't be a solution because it, it's the state. Yeah. I mean, that's totally against what the church is saying. So yeah, it's no, a temporary no, option, maybe. What I'm going to say is that, you know, any, um, you know, what, what is the end that the, that the church has in mind when it pronounces its social doctrine? Well, it's yeah. the distribution of property for the sake of, of ownership. So all, yeah. all labor should tend towards, towards ownership. Um, and towards ownership of the means of production. And they are not talking about state ownership of the means of production, which Pope um, Paul II rather famously critiqued um, socialism for being state capitalism, right? <laughs> namely where, because the state is, I mean, you hate to say it, but it's, it's just people. And it, it, what's frustrating is that to replace a monopoly that a capitalist class has on the accrual of all power in society with um, the monopoly that a administrative class of, I mean, like, look at history, like the, the people that owned moved into positions in which within communist regimes, they were now owning by virtue of being the state. I mean, um, this seems to be, yeah. a, I'm, I'm not saying there couldn't be a perfect system or, or some, well, no, I am saying that, but that there couldn't be an improvement, but it would seem like any use of Christian socialism would have to be um, a suicidal use like it's it's to the demise of the state like you utilize whatever tool you have but it's for the sake of ultimately a distribution of, of ownership I mean, the goal should be an ownership society um not a society in which goods are simply available at the hands of um other men yeah so then what would you say about like a dorothy day option so like christian anarchism anti-statism do you think it's like a viable option today even though well, the i think it depends on yeah, sure. I mean, it depends on what you mean. Because sometimes people, when they say anarchism, they mean they mean like a, a lack of governance, um, just like not participating in state kind of affairs, like radical subsidiarity. Um, like as the Catholic worker did, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think that there is an option for non-participation, whether we like it or not. Um, Unless you don't pay your taxes. All right, like you can, you can go to prison uh, for sure. <laughs> and I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that people shouldn't. I mean, yeah. Um, but I'm saying that, like all rebellion against tyranny, it, it has to be um, prudent in the sense of, not in the sense of cowardly, which is how most people mean it, but in the sense of um, using what actual de facto power you have to destroy the tyranny, and not um, not using de facto power that you don't have and then ending up creating a, a more of a chaos or more um, more problems than, than your rebellion solves. Um, so what, what I think is maybe a through line with everything we've been discussing is that the power of the state as like this weird modern idol in which all authority and legitimate violence and everything else descends mm -hmm. from it, um, which has just simply never been the Christian vision. 
uh, and this is an invention actually of um, Machiavelli and you know moves from there into modernity. Um, that that has no place within um, Christian politics, which um, acknowledges real authority and real power and real governance and demands it of people at every level of society, which does include, can include large governing structures, but which um, I think, so what am I saying? I'm, I'm saying that any kind of, um, any kind of uh, organization of the world, uh, Christian politics has to happen um, at a level, at, at every level of um, de facto power. So yeah. you can't simply say, well, we can get the state to, you know, um, be run by Catholics so as to create a perfect society through its law if we're not saying that in a manner that that's also true um, in, in the local level and at the level of the family and all yeah. the way through the social hierarchy. Yeah, no, because I feel like the Catholic worker is definitely not a sustainable model, but prophetic, certainly. And like, I think also just on a, on a personal level, it challenges this impulse to rely on a bureaucracy to solve our problems rather than our own personal responsibility. Sure, um, yeah. But um, the, the other option, do you know anything about the dirtbag left? This like... Yeah, country? I mean, yeah, you have a trap house and those guys scare all those yeah. people yeah i mean it, i i'm not sure that i fully comprehend it because i don't okay. i don't i don't listen to a lot of things i mean but but uh my brother my brother likes a lot of those or at least he did he's he's a very dynamic thinker so he might be okay. listening to something else these days but um yeah i mean it seems like they i'm not exactly sure what one would define them as doing um besides kind of taking the taking the um populist part of the right-wing movement for for left-wing ends but maybe that's not the case yeah i mean uh, i what i think the genius of it is at least in terms of red scare chapo i mean not as much into but i think red scare it's like it's this ironic almost amoral decadent critique of liberalism that's coming at like its aesthetic vapidness like it has no it, like it starts out as an aesthetic critique but then what it, they end what they arrive to is this metaphysical critique and like the fact that dasha is she's a bad catholic she's the the name of your blog um you know she affirms all the truths of the church she just chooses not to live by them right now but like there's a real entryway for people who are not religious, people who are on the left to kind of come into these ideas. And like it's interesting to me that a lot of the listeners to Red Scare who are these kind of, you know, bohemian gay art hoes, as they call themselves, like are now very curious about Catholicism, at least in, a, in an ironic aesthetic way, but are like reading people like Deneen. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think, I mean, it's not a solution, but I definitely think it's worth our attention, at least within the church. Yeah, I mean, I mean look, the, the, what is wonderful about this moment is that the attempt to at all synthesize the church with liberalism is gone. We don't even do that anymore. People yeah. that do, I guess, I guess maybe it still happens, but I'm not even aware. <laughs> like what, what is acknowledged now is that the church is the enemy of the world, right? And so we get to have these conversations in which it's very much, question is very much more, well, which side are you choosing? 
yeah. which is a more refreshing conversation to have than, well, how can a Catholic vote well within democracy or, you know, yeah, uh, we're kind of over that. And part of that's because of, you know, very extrinsic reasons. It's like, it used to be the case that Catholics wanted very much to prove their loyalty to America as mm -hmm. energy. It is now increasingly suspicious that it is worth that kind of effort, the regime that is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, hasn't the church always been destructive? Like it, it, this is what I see in a lot of these movements is that what gets people excited and gets them, you know, podcasting and thinking is, is a destructive impulse, right? They, they yeah. see things that they hate and they want to discuss it. I mean, when Dostoevsky wrote a novel, it was because he was mad at someone. <laughs> and that's what got him to write uh, Demons and Brothers Karamazov. And so it, getting real mad is a great product, is a great way to produce um, um, a school or a movement or at least a, a source of conversation. Um, but what makes it... What makes Catholicism different, of course, is that it does want you to get really mad. And it does want you to destroy structures of sin. And it does want you to recognize that this boring corporate world that's on offer is, is empty, hollow, and vain. Um, but then it wants you to pursue um, a, an actual good, historically revealed um, in Jesus Christ and through his church um, by taking concrete actions to be radically converted people who are yeah. capable of attaining uh, virtue and so the kingdom of uh, kingdom of heaven yeah. so and that's obviously um less fun than getting mad about liberalism or getting mad about capitalism and yeah. so there's that moment i think um and you see this in every age of decadence so i'm thinking about like la decadence or whatever uh, <laughs> where you had a lot of conversions to um Catholicism coming out of the bohemian, gay, um, sort of androgynous world, yeah. the wild sort of... Baudelaire. Yeah, and, and why? Well, you know, a lot of, and, and why do those conversions at the same time, I think, still trouble us? Because, well, because for a lot of cradle Catholics like me, you read some of these French converts, and you're very convinced that they are sick of the world. Yep. They're, like, disgusted by the frivolousness and ugliness of modernity as it creeps over everything good and you even laud them for their medievalism in the sense of like thinking about the pre-raphaelite movement in england where this sort of um victorian romance of the catholic age but then the worry of course is that well what the romance really is is just because you so very much hate the protestant age and yeah. similarly the, the attraction of the church becomes almost reduced to its ability to I, and maybe one of the reasons I worry about this is because the same thing is happening on the right. I mean, you have this weird phenomenon of like, um, what else to call it? Nazi conversions to the church, um, where you have this hatred of modernity, this, this sense that it has made the world into this embarrassing aesthetic like playground, um, or aesthetically embarrassing playground, I should say. Um, and then you want to take all of your, and so you see in Catholicism, like the sort of ultimate rejection of this for like a cosmic vision for um, hierarchy, for um, a worldview in which the stakes are as high as could possibly be, you know, life, death, heaven, hell, angels, demons. Um, 
but if you don't drop the Nazism, it becomes a, a little bit, a little bit weird, you know. Like if if, if conversion is just a way to to um, you know own the libs without falling in love with Jesus Christ and letting letting yourself become um, the kind of person he wants you to be, then. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people teeter on the edge, right? Like they, like you were saying with the dirtbag left, they they have this interest they see it looming on the horizon but what courage it takes i think to move beyond it as a, a, a slap in the face of everything you hate to embrace you know it's a lot of courage and uh, i hope i mean i pray for all these people i really hope they'll, they'll uh, make the jump yeah so then lastly is integralism a viable option in your thought? Depends on what you mean by all the words in that sentence. <laughs> I know. That's not one. I mean, what I'm, look, sure, there are a lot of ways we could define it. A monarchy, that's what I'm thinking. Sure. I mean, I'm sure that's, I know not all, all integralists are going for that. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely in theory like a great option, but in reality, like, could this happen? Should we want it to happen? I don't really know. Probably not. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make a cop-out answer, but the church, the reason the church prescinds from offering any particular political form as a definitive solution is because the forms by themselves, what the church is, is wrestling with sin. It's the conversion of the world. It's the, um, it is the reform of humanity itself. And so insofar as any political form is useful for the reform of humanity, great, but the idea that the idea that what the church is doing i mean what i'm saying is there is no system that can compensate for us becoming holy people okay right Fair. so you know you can you can and, and these arguments get tired right so like you could have a virtuous king and you can see how that would really help uh, a society that needs um, leadership, that needs the distribution of power to the poor um, over and against a, um, a, a corrupt aristocracy or nobility, uh, which is definitely true of our society. <laughs> um, but then, of course, you can also see how that does really hinge on that word, virtuous. But all, all yeah. the church is saying is that it all hinges on that word. Um, yeah, you can have a democracy serve the common good if everyone's virtuous yeah you can have a tyranny serve the common good i mean like the church really says this obviously it's situational right like in a state of invasion or war or some some but the virtue virtue is is what it's the end of politics it's the point having people that are capable of the kingdom of heaven is the point um so what integralism seems to wherever it comes up and i'm not saying there's not like a possible modification of what precisely you mean, whereas would falsify what I'm, what I'm going to argue here, but it seems to think that you can produce virtue simply by taking the power of the state um, without fundamentally um, altering um, its structures and without fundamentally producing virtue in the people that, that govern. Um, it, 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 it leaves unquestioned, I think, um, the idea that there are certain structures of sin, 
in yeah. which it's not simply the case that you could equate um, government governance, these goods with rule of the state, because you might be using what's in fact the result of sin. So what I mean is, do we honestly think that for the sake of the end of virtue, um, the positivist legal rule over 300 million people is what we would build if we were actually pursuing virtue? Like, is that is that what a politics of virtue would do to itself? It seems like the answer is no. Like the, the holy people tend to blossom within forms of subsidiarity where rule at that level would be um, the least positivist and most concerned with um, universal principles of justice. Like if you're going to have an emperor or a king that has rule over people that he can't possibly adjudicate between and know um, that it would be precisely because he is most concerned for the universal principles of, of morality and such. Whereas we take the opposite approach. We want rule over 300 million people and that defines how you get a driver's license or, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, it is the, the, it's disordered in the sense that it is attempting to govern the particular with structures that depersonalize um, yeah. all of those, all of those people. And so, um, there's a sort of quasi integralist response to this, at least that I've heard, which is that, well, if we just took control of the state, then the influence of the faith would destroy those structures of sin and would essentially dissolve it into the proper ordering of insubsidiarity and everything else, mm -hmm. which if that's what you mean, fine. Like, sure. Like that, if you, if by Catholics taking control of the state, you mean that the state doesn't look like what we say, doesn't look like the state then I think we're talking about the same thing, yeah. which is that um, a virtuous, virtuous governance is going to look very different. You know? Yeah. And it's also going to have, well, yeah, that's all. I'm going to stop there. That's all get controversial. No. So then, this was, yeah, this was, a, this was a fun conversation. Covered a lot of ground here. So, <laughs> To say the least. So before we go, Mark, what do you what plugs would you like us to make? Plugs. Mm, well, I guess I would say if you if you want a thorough critique of liberalism, um, I would really invite everyone to read DC Schindler's book, Politics of the Real. Politics of the Real. Uh, okay. Which New Polity Press published last year and and which really provides the kind of metaphysical backbone i think um to a lot of these maybe more social critiques that that we've been giving by arguing that liberalism is fundamentally the um subordination of act the metaphysical principle of act to potency um, mm -hmm. which is to say something like um, that our capacity, um, our aim, our, our aimless and unoriented ability becomes valued over real goods, real history. Um, yeah. And that this isn't simply well, a thing that happens here or there, but it's fundamental um, to liberal societies. And that is, is, I think is very convincing and, it, and it's helpful to understand our world in which the things that are valued don't seem to have any particular end or to be um, in support of any particular people, but 
just abstract purchasing power or spending power. Um, that, that involves a, an image of God who um, looks the same, right? God who doesn't really enter history and do anything particular and give particular goods and build a real kingdom here on this earth, but a God who is simply um, uh, sort of obsessed with himself as, as infinite, infinitely possible, so as having power, power itself being the God, actually. So I'd recommend that. Um, I plug, what else? We did a, um, I mean, if for some inkling of what a society might look like that isn't structured by liberalism, um, I would recommend Andrew Willard Jones's Before Church and State. Okay. Uh, at some point, people are going to realize it's the only book I've ever read, but until then, <laughs> it's just one. Uh, but what he does is he shows, in that book, he shows how um, the categories that, that we wrestle with and, and that we think totally comprehend human existence just didn't exist prior to us making them. And that in um, the 13th and 14th century France, uh, he uses very direct primary sources to show how they just weren't in operation. How you could have something like rights without positing static positivist rights. How you could have something like, um, um, how you could have um, social orders that were based on um, the possession of common property um, as opposed to private or public property, things like that. Yeah. Uh, that's been very illuminating. And yeah, and I'll leave it there. Those seem like good books, to, good books to read. Enough to keep us busy for a while. For sure. So Mark, thank you for joining us. This was a good time. Great, thanks, I appreciate it. All right. Thank you.